Today's sermon text comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we approach your throne boldly this afternoon. On a day like today where we celebrate uh, mothers, God, we approach your throne on behalf of every mother that you have entrusted with the responsibility of raising their children. God, we thank you that no matter that no mother is alike, God, but that you've given each one a unique blend of passions and gifts and talents. God, we thank you for the way each of these women model the way, that their, the way of their Savior as they sacrifice their interests and desires for the sake of those they love, counting others as more important than themselves. God, whether it's trying for the 27th time to try and get their child to sleep in the middle of the night or spending hours making and preparing an activity that might capture their child's attention for maybe seven minutes, God, we thank you for the way these women empty themselves even when no one else can see. And Father, we pray that our moms would find their worth in you and not in their motherhood. God, help them to reject perfectionism and rest in the finished work of the cross and truly embrace the goodness and doneness of the gospel. God, would Jesus truly be their bread of life and living water and bring them true contentment rather than comparing themselves to others? And help them see that they truly can do all things through Christ who has promised to give them strength. Father, we also pray for all those today that are hurting on a day like today. And for women who have walked through the pain, the unimaginable pain of a miscarriage or stillbirth. And for women who have lost a child. For women who are longing to have a child and God has not yet answered yes to that desire. Or for children who have lost their mothers or perhaps never knew their mothers. And there can be a pain and disappointment today. Father, we pray that your spirit would comfort those that are hurting. You've told us that you're near the brokenhearted. So may your presence be particularly felt today and your comfort be tangible. And where the promises of your son be believed today that there really is peace because he has overcome the world, including the brokenness and disappointment of this world. There really is peace in him. Lord, give each woman here an adoring reverence of you, the creator and sustainer of life. Help each mother rest in knowing that they are but stewards of your children and salvation belongs to you, not in their parenting tactics or parental choices. May each mother find rest in your power and in your gospel. Break them from a perceived self-reliance and lead them to the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. And may we all today come to him and find the rest our souls have been looking for is the very rest that he's promised to give. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, um, I've had the uh, privilege this past week of uh, being up in Milwaukee for a, a pastor's conference and retreat. Milwaukee uh, showed me how terrible the weather is and how great their cheese curds are. That's pretty much the summary of Milwaukee. Um, but in being gone all week, we've got the opportunity now and the blessing and privilege to have uh, my good friend, Melo Saval, who's going to come up in just a moment and preach uh, today. I've gotten to know Melo the last number of years uh, as Melo and uh, his wife, Nicole, and their three beautiful kids are all here. And they've been ministering in the Orlando area for a number of years. Melo is currently serving as a church planting resident at Mosaic Church. Uh, and Mo uh, Renault, uh, not Renault, Mello reached out to me a couple years ago. Um, and this is when I knew we were going to be friends. And you said, hey, can we go get barbecue and talk about congregationalism? And I was like, oh, my man. Barbecue and church polity, he just knows right to my heart, how to get right to the bottom of my heart. And so we've struck up a conversation then and have continued to be good friends. As Mello's getting ready and uh, on kind of the final stages now, of getting ready to go plant a church in Apopka, uh, one family church starting in... 
September. Um, so coming together is a church that we're excited to see start, another uh, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church here in Lake County. Uh, also, as you hear Mellow today, if you're in or around the Apopka era, area, go talk to Mellow uh, or Nicole afterwards, um, giving him free reign to fish in our pond because we are big believers and wanting to build the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of our church. And so we want to see more and more good churches started. And part of that is not only partnering and praying with you, but if there's people around there saying, hey, here's a great church in that area uh, to be able to go to. Um, Mellow preached here in December. It's one of those times whenever, as a preacher, when someone else comes up and preaches, you want them to do good, but not too good. You know, you don't want, uh, you come back and everyone's like, man, Mellow is awesome. I heard this over and over again, brother. Just people were like, we loved Mellow. And at first I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then people kept saying it. I was like, well, I'm, I'm still your pastor. You know, like, I, Mellow ain't coming back, but you, you are back again. So I'm excited uh, to be able to be here, uh, hear you preach today. Uh, and excited to see what all God's doing in one family. So Mellow, uh, come on up here, brother. Um, and uh, I think Philippians 4 is where we're going to be today. Looking forward to it and excited for uh, what God has in store. If you guys would welcome me, welcome uh, Mellow up this morning. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I got to get used to the, 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 the time shift here. Um, well, thank you for, for having me back. I'm actually, so those, that's encouraging, uh, Caleb, that you share that. I was thinking uh, this is my last Sunday here, so uh, I'm probably not going to get an invite back again. So it's encouraging to hear that you guys, uh, that we had a great time together. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. Um, I'm married to the beautiful Nicole, as Caleb mentioned. I have my three kids. My other, my daughter is in the, the children's service here, and my two boys, uh, seven is Malachi, and Josiah is five years old. He's covering his face because he's very embarrassed right now that I'm putting him on the spot. There he is. Um, but I've had the privilege of being married to my, my, my beautiful wife here for 10 years this week. So we celebrated 10 years um, this week, and, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to North Carolina. I think somebody up here said they came from North Carolina. We're going we're gonna to be uh, spending some time in North Carolina and just reflecting on the past 10 years and what, ha- what God has done. And every single year, every anniversary, um, we always kind of like to think back, okay, what was, man, what are some of the memories that we can just kind of reflect on over the past couple of years? And my wife recently asked me, hey, what would you, what would you tell um, first year married mellow, if you can kind of talk to him, like what would you tell him now, right? And I'm thinking, man, that's a, that's a really good question. I never, I, I don't really think about that kind of stuff on a regular basis. And so what would I tell the first, the, you know, the, the, the earlier me in the first year of my marriage? I gave a response. I don't even remember what I told her two days ago. Um, but as I'm actually just preparing for this time, I, I'm thinking to myself, man, what I would tell one year married mellow is learn to be content. I would tell myself in the first year of marriage really to just learn to be content. Um, and here's why. I mean, I, you look back over the past couple of years, and there's so many areas in life that God has revealed to me that I'm not as content as I would have liked myself to believe that I am. I never actually seen myself as a guy who, who, who complains. My wife would say that, you know, Melo's very optimistic. You know, he, he's always just kind of thinking on the bright side of everything. And, and I kind of embrace that reality. I'm like, yeah, I'm a very positive person. I, I don't usually grumble and complain. But when I really look back, um, I think it would be really, really important for me to tell my younger self, learn to be content. One of the examples of the need for that is my love for Apple. Any nerds in here? Am I the only nerd in here? Okay, um, okay, okay. See, I, I imagine that the, the, the number of hands that didn't go up is, is the, the Android users, and so we can talk about that problem after service. But, um, man, I, I love Apple. I, I love Apple, uh, you know, I love Apple so much that if they tell me I need it, I believe them. If they put a product out there and they say, Melo, you need this, I'm gonna believe them. And I realize that this is probably an issue when, you know, every single year they have an Apple event where they're going to release a product and kind of let you know what's coming out. And they'll have another event to kind of let you know some of the software that they're coming out with. And, um, and every time they release a new product, I start to look at what I already have and I'm just like annoyed. Like I turn the computer on, I'm like, gosh, this thing is so slow. And I just got it 
uh, the year before. I mean, this is literally the newest model compared to the one that just came out, and it's a 0.5 gigahertz difference than the other one that, that I, than the one that I currently have. But yet, they release a new product. I look at my iPhone, and then I want the S version of that iPhone. That's a, that's a problem with contentment. I, I mean, I, I have a very well-working device. Apple happens to make great products, and yet, as soon as they put something else out, I, um, I feel like the one I have is absolutely inferior and no longer going to work the way I need it to work. Uh, do, do any of us struggle with that? Where, where, where we have just what we need, and yet we feel like there's still something lacking with what God has given us. Do we struggle with this? I, I think one of the challenges of our day right now is that we're bombarded every single day. You turn on the TV, you, you, you can uh, uh, go online, every billboard, every commercial, every bro brochure kind of has one thing in common. It, 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 it attempts to let us know or to remind us and to kind of wave this, this flag that you deserve and need more than what you have. Every brochure, every commercial attempts to, to, to dangle our our, our, our perceived lack in front of us and, and, and give us the solution to, to how to satisfy that lack. And, and, and you see that even with, with um, social media. Social, social media is not necessarily meant to, uh, you, know, you can do advertising on social media and things like that, but, but the way we engage it also feeds into this sense of lack. Let me read an article here that, that this kind of highlights a few negative aspects of social media as, as it pertains to how it impacts our, um, our mental health. Look at, look at this. I just found it very interesting as, as I connected to what we're going to be talking about today. It says this. Um, since it's a relatively new technology um, or, or new reality, social media is fairly new, and so we still need a lot more time to figure out um, kind of the impact that it has. So a lot of studies are being done. There's a lot of kind of research out there that exists, but it's still fairly new, so we need a few more years to really see what impact it has. But um, social media ha uh, promotes negative experiences in a variety of different ways. Here's one of them. Inadequate, the feeling of inadequacy with our life or our appearance. Even if you know what, uh, that the images that you're viewing on social media are manipulated, they can still kind of uh, uh, cultivate this sense of insecurity in our hearts. Similarly, um, we're all aware that people tend to just share the highlights of their lives, and they rarely show the low points of, of their experiences, but that doesn't lessen those feelings of envy and dissatisfaction when you're scrolling through a friend's airbrushed photos when they're on the tropical beach or having an, uh, an awesome time in the mountains during the holiday. So, so one, of the, one of the impacts it has is the, is the feeling of inadequacy about our life and our experiences. The other one is fear of missing out. Uh, while FOMO has been around for longer than social media sites have been around, like Facebook and Instagram, it seems to exacerbate feelings that others are having way more fun than we are and living better lives than we are. The idea is that you're missing out on the certain things that, 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 that can impact your self-esteem and and, uh, or, or these things impact our self-esteem and they trigger our anxiety. They fuel an even greater social media use. You, you, you don't want to miss out on anything, so you're, you're, you're trying to make sure you stay updated with whatever the latest thing is. Fear of missing out can compel us to pick up our phone every few minutes just to check for updates and compulsively re respond to every single alert that comes our way. Uh, another one is isolation. A study uh, at the University of Pennsylvania found that uh, the high usage of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram increases rather than decreases feelings of loneliness. And conversely, the study found that reducing social media usage can actually make you feel less lonely and less isolated and improve your overall, overall well-being. And here, here's, a, here's a, the last one here I'll share. Uh, there's a, there was a few more, but here's the last one. Self-absorption. Sharing endless selfies and all your innermost thoughts on social media can create an unhealthy self-centeredness and distance you from real-life connections. Now, now, don't worry. This is not an anti-social media uh, 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 sermon today, okay? So if you're just bracing yourself for like, oh, man, I got I to gotta get ready to delete, you can keep your Facebook, keep your Instagram. It's not an anti-social media um, uh, 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 
sermon, but it's, it's, my goal today is really to help us understand how to have biblical contentment so that we could kind of con- uh, cultivate a, a deeper dependency on Jesus that will lead to an unwavering joy in any circumstance that we face. Uh, all of those things I just read was just an experience or a, a feeling of discontent, and, and I want to kind of help us uh, to find a different way to, to find joy um, and, and contentment. We're going to learn from Paul's letter in, uh, in Philippians um, and highlight two principles that, that I believe are critical for us to know in order for us to, to have biblical joy and biblical contentment. The first principle is biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment. Biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment. And the second principle is that biblical contentment flows out of the power of Christ. And so I hope that we're going to see in the text today that our circumstances may oscillate. It might go back and forth from uh, favorable to unfavorable, but our joy doesn't have to. Uh, So if I had to tag this text with a title, I would title it unwavering joy. But even after the song that I heard uh, Garrett sing earlier, I'd want to call it anchored joy. Anchored joy, regardless of the circumstances that we go through. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and meet me in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And just to provide a little bit of context, we're going to we're going to, um, let me just kind of explain what, what, what Paul is kind of dealing with as he's writing this letter. Paul was unjustly put in prison for something he, he, he didn't even do. Um, he's arrested in Jerusalem for no real reason, uh, or the reason really it was is that his success in the advancement of the gospel. He's kept in prison without charges. He's transferred to Rome as a criminal, and he has to wait two years on house arrest for his hearing. He was on 24-hour watch Uh, uh, chained to an imperial guard so that there'd be no way for him to escape uh, somewhere in some back door or whatever the case may be. They wanted to make sure that there was no way of escape for Paul. 24 hours on on, uh, house arrest and and chained to a Roman guard. While he's on house arrest, he's actually able to to receive visitors. So he can't go anywhere, but, but he can actually have people come and visit him. And so he spent time preaching the gospel and sharing the goodness of, of God, and he would uh, have conversations with folks. He would be sharing the gospel with the guards that would swap out day to day as they changed roles and, uh, or switched uh, switch their shift for that day. And the, the Philippian church was, was very concerned for Paul. They loved Paul. Uh, uh, Paul planted a church there in Philippi. They cared for him. And one of the visitors that they sent to meet Paul was Epaphroditus, a brother from the Philippian church, and, and, and they sent Epaphroditus with a, with a gift to, to kind of encourage Paul and to, 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 to help him in his ministry and to support him. And so, um, and so Paul was greatly encouraged when he received the gift, and uh, we're going to see here that um, uh, kind of his response as he's closing up the letter um, to the Philippians, what he says in response to the, to the gift here. Uh, this letter in Philippians is is one of four of Paul's prison epistles, um, or just letters that he's written while he's in jail or while he's um, in chains. And, and one of the interesting things about Philippians is that it's the last kind of letter that you would expect to get from someone um, uh, for, who's in jail because this letter's theme is on joy. The, the, the overarching thing that he uh, talks about is joy in this letter. So you wouldn't really expect to get that from a guy who's in prison. And so let's see kind of what he says here as he's getting ready to close the letter. Verse 10, um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you have renewed your care for me. Now, Paul is again expressing gratitude and thankfulness for the generosity of the Philippians through the gift that they've given him. Um, um, and, And we don't really know what the specifics of the gifts are. Uh, we, we just read in verse 18 that he's, he's gotten everything in full. He has an abundance. He's fully supplied. He's received everything that was meant to come to him from Epaphroditus. And so it, it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. We don't know the specific amount or whatever, whatever it was, but it met Paul's needs. And Paul says that he's grateful. He, he rejoices greatly that they've renewed their concern for him. 
Now, at first glance, as you're reading that, you, you might kind of think that Paul, um, uh, Paul is, is almost kind of addressing maybe a problem that, that the, the Philippians had. Maybe they, maybe, you know, what, what, was, what was the reason for the lapse of time um, that, 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 that Paul has received kind of a gift from them? Because it's been some time. And, and he says, man, I'm, I'm, I rejoice in the Lord because now at, at last, or, or you, you've once again been able to renew your concern for me. And, and so I think if we're not careful, we can think that Paul is almost kind of rebuking the Philippians. He, 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 maybe, he's, maybe he's a little discouraged. He was discouraged. He's been discouraged. Like, where are these guys? And finally, when, they, when they're able to respond with a gift, he, he says, um, man, I'm, I'm grateful you guys are responding to my need. But, but that's not exactly the, 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 the angle that Paul is, is addressing here. Um, the, the next verse says, you were, in fact, concerned for me, um, but you lack the opportunity to show it. And so Paul is, is letting them know that he knows that they were concerned for him all along. Any lapse of time where they've received any kind of gift from, from uh, 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 where, where Paul's received any kind of gift from him was not out of a lack of concern, but it was a lack of opportunity. And, and, and they, they definitely wanted to to um, uh, support Paul in his ministry. They wanted to be able to encourage him. They wanted to be able to meet his needs. Um, and, and they, in fact, did this regularly. Um, there's a, te- uh, a few verses down in verse 15. He says, from the beginning of the gospel, not, not any other, like once I left Macedonia, you guys were the only church that supported me. So Paul was very clear on their hearts and their care and concern for them. But look what he says in verse 11. He says, I don't say this out of need. Now, I don't know where Paul went and got um, support raising training from, but when you're getting uh, <laughs> donations and support from people that are encouraging you, you don't, you don't usually say, yeah, thank you for that, but I didn't really need it in the first place. That's not the response that you would typically get. At least that wouldn't be my response, but it appears that Paul knows something that, that, that we might not always be, uh, uh, that's, that may not always be on the forefront of our minds. He says, I'm not speaking out of need. What, what does he mean by that? He's, he's in jail. He's on house arrest. He obviously has needs. Why would Paul say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly for the gift that you guys have sent, but, but, but just to be clear, don't, don't get it twisted, um, I'm actually not saying this out of need. What does he mean here? Paul wants to be very clear about the source of his joy. Paul wants to let the Philippians know that his joy is not flowing out of his love for gifts. It's flowing from something else. Look at uh, verse 17 here. Paul says, um, um, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Guys, don't don't get it twisted. My rejoicing is not about the gift in and of itself. You guys weren't necessarily um, meeting a need in a moment of discontentment for me. Actually, my rejoicing is coming out of a place of contentment already. Paul is in jail for no real crime. He can't go anywhere. He's chained for 24 hours. Where does he get this joy from? First principles, biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment. Verse 11, he says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. The reason why Paul can say that he can, he's not speaking out of need is because he learned how to be content. He learned how to be content in any and every circumstance that he found himself in. Biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment. But before we unpack a little bit of what contentment actually is, let's uncover what keeps us from actually experiencing joys in our lives for a moment here. Why is it so hard for us to be joyful? Think about that for a second. Why why do I need the next generation iPhone? What, What makes joy so difficult for us even when it seems like things are, for the most part, if you're comparing yourself to other countries or other people's situations, that, that things seem to be fair, uh, faring pretty, uh, pretty well. What, what, is, 
What makes it so difficult for us? I think the answer is discontentment. We're discontent. Discontentment is when we're lacking some, or when we feel like we're lacking something in our circumstances and we, uh, that, we, that we think we need in order for us to have happiness or joy. Discontentment is when we're lacking in something that we think we need in order for us to have um, happiness or joy. So there's something out there that we're feeling like um, until we have this thing or until this situation has shifted, um, we won't be able to have any actual joy or happiness in the Lord. Is there anything in our lives that, 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 that we're holding on to or pursuing that, that is cultivating or stirring up a sense of discontentment in us? Is there anything that we might be experiencing that is almost making a, a, a bed uh, uh, for, 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 for our sorrows to come and lay and, 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 and make its home in our hearts? I want to argue this morning that the pursuit of happiness in anything in this life, I said this morning, this afternoon, I got to get used to that, but the pursuit of happiness in this life, for anything in this life, is almost like, like playing a game of, of whack-a-mole. It's, 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 it's very fleeting. Anybody ever played whack-a-mole at an arcade? People are shaking their heads. Wow, okay. Yeah. It, it, the idea of whack-a-mole is you have, you, know, you have a mallet in your hand, there's a few holes inside of a a thing, and maybe five, six, or seven, or whatever, depending on where you're at, and the timer's going to go off, and the whole point of it is that as each mole comes up, you, got, you have to whack it. You have to hit the mole as it's coming around, and, and the, the mole is your target. The more you can hit, uh, the more points you get, the, the, the higher your score, and I think it, and very similarly, um, the, the pursuit of happiness on earth is, is, is very fleeting like this game. It's, 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 you see the target, you hit it, and it's no sooner than you arrive at your destination. There's another one. There's another one that you got to go after. No sooner than you, that, 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 that you arrive exactly where you thought you needed to be. You have to now seek another place. You have to now go after another thing. It's fleeting. And I, wanna, and I, and I, th- I think... I think Oftentimes, this is how, and, 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 and maybe oftentimes not even knowing it, this is how we, we live our lives, constantly pursuing a particular target, a destination, whatever the case may be, um, thinking that it's going to actually bring us the fulfillment that we, we desire, and only to be disappointed later on. Um, maybe some of us are discontent with the things that we have, the, the things in this world, and we feel like once we, once we get it, Things will be better. You know, you think about year, year two in marriage, uh, we're, we're, getting, we're getting ready to buy our first house or we're looking for a house. And, and everything in my, like every fiber of my being really felt that once we get this house, like, I mean, because right now we just, all we got to do is just get this. Because right now, you know, we have, we're living in a small one-bedroom apartment. You know how it goes. We, you know, we, we really want to um, be a place of hospitality, right? We want to invite people over. We want, every day we're going to have people from church at our house. I'm telling you, once God, God, if you would just give us this home, this one right here that we're asking for, I know that we won't, we won't complain about anything until we moved into the house and the responsibility of home ownership starts to hit and you don't feel like cutting that grass. I mean, we, we put the hood in neighborhoods. We put the hood in neighborhood. I mean, it, was, it took a while for us to, to not be the one house that was, you know, the ghetto house in the neighborhood. I mean, we, oh, I didn't know we had to cut grass and, and, and pay for weeds to not, you know, um, grow in our thing. And I got to get a service for, for uh, fertilization and all this stuff. It was the thing that we thought we would never complain about if God would answer it this one time, this one prayer right here. And not soon after moving in, we, we, we found reason to complain. Maybe you already have a house. You're not, you're not in an apartment. You have a home already, but you need a bigger home because you want more people to be able to come around. And, and obviously, you have the gift of hospitality, and so you just, you just can't wait to be able to, to, to fit it with just so many. You want to fill it up with children and fill it up with, with your neighbors, and you're going to share your faith with everybody in the community, and everybody's going to know your house as the house that everybody, all the kids want to hang out in. And so if God would answer your prayer in that way, or if he would answer your prayer in getting you a better car that doesn't always break down and things like that, or, you know, maybe you're a little embarrassed as you're, 
as you open the car door and there's like a squeaking sound every single time. If God would meet those needs, um, I'd be content. Maybe it's even a, a job situation. Melo, if only you knew how hard my job really is, um, uh, you would understand why I'm not content there. Like, if only you knew how horrible my boss is, how, how bad my schedule is, or, 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 or the position that I, I, I should be in a better role in this job. I've been here for 10 years, and, they still, and I, I'm still getting the same pay. If, if, if my pay would be different, I wouldn't be so cranky. I would actually be a man full of joy, a woman full of joy. And sometimes it, we find this sense of discontentment even in just status. Maybe we want to be married. And we feel like, God, if you would just bless me with a spouse, um, I know that I would have everything I need in that moment, and I would serve you for the rest of my days. Or, or Lord, give me, give me that child that I so long for. And if I can have that child, um, I'll be satisfied for the rest of my days. And only to find out for many people, they get married and wish they weren't married, and you get kids and then wish, why did I have kids in the first place? Kids are a blessing, marriage is a gift. But if we're not pursuing these things with the right motivations, um, we'll find ourselves gravely disappointed. And so discontentment really finds its way in every area, every facet of our lives. And, and, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the reality of discontentment. Um, discontentment is not something that you have to learn. You don't have to learn to be discontent. What school does one go to to, to learn discontentment? It, 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 you don't have to learn it because it's very natural to us. You're born with it. You're born with a, a, an incredible ability to be dissatisfied with what you have. Just like every other sin in our lives, discontentment is a part of our um, fallen nature. Uh, a couple, couple of things just to consider. Discontentment is a sin because it denies the right that God, that the, the, that the right that God has to be able to do what he will with our lives. It, it rejects his sovereignty. Discontentment is a sin because it, it ignores the promise that God would never allow us to suffer more than what we're able to bear. It rejects his care for us. Discontentment is a sin because it keeps us from recognizing God as our greatest treasure. It rejects God's goodness to us. Discontentment is a sin because of where it comes from. What's the source of our discontentment? What's driving this thing? Discontentment is actually deeper than our circumstances or the things that we have. The source of our discontentment is idolatry. Look at this quote here from C.S. Lewis. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy our desires, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that perhaps the, the very struggle that we have to be satisfied in the things that we have or will have is because the whole purpose of it was to point us to something greater than that. Source of discontentment is idolatry. And here's where we all go wrong. Um, when earthly pleasures don't bring us ultimate satisfaction, instead of actually turning and putting our hope and trust in God, the eternal, we dwell on our perceived lack. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you want to be married, that that's a bad thing. Or if you want your job situation to change, that, that, that you have, that, that that's somehow less than spiritual. God invented marriage. It's his idea. But if you need to be married in order to find joy, then that should serve as kind of an a, a, a indicator light for you that perhaps you've placed your, um, your, your joy in things greater than God himself. Nothing wrong with, 
with wanting to have a better job situation and finding pleasure in the work that you do. There's a text in Ecclesiastes that says that nothing is better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. Work is also God's idea. Work is also a gift from God. But if you need to get a certain career, if you need to have a certain job or to keep the one that you have, in order for you to be filled with joy and to maintain your happiness, then that should serve as a signal for your heart that maybe you've drifted onto something that you think is is more secure than God himself. All of us have experienced some kind of trouble, hard time in our lives. Uh, Some of us are experiencing something hard even right now as I'm speaking. Some of us are going to experience something awaiting us. We don't even know what's happening yet. We're sitting here and, 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 to, and we might get that phone call that no one wants to get. We might leave here and, and, and not necessarily make it to where we want to go. But, but here's the thing. If any circumstance or any situation is blocking us, hindering us from being able to see Christ for who he is, being able to see God for who he is in our lives, then, then it's idolatry. The source of our discontentment is idolatry. We've replaced God. Um, We've replaced God and we're looking to something else um, to to give us joy and satisfaction. Our hearts weren't created to be filled with with created things. It was meant to be filled up with the creator. And, And this is what Paul means when he tells the Philippians in verse 11 that I'm not speaking out of need. I rejoiced when you guys sent the gift. I, I, re, I was encouraged greatly when I can see the maturity of your faith, even when you are a, a church that had great needs of your own. Uh, one of the things that, that is not mentioned here, but the Philippian church w- wasn't known to be a church of wealth. Might have been a few people in the church that were wealthy, but for the most part, they would give out of their poverty because of their desire to want to see the gospel advance and their great love for, for Paul. But Paul says, don't you think for a second that my rejoicing is out of a place of need? Because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. And so the first principle that we, 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 we unpacked today was that biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment. The second principle I want us to remember is that biblical contentment flows out of the power of Christ. Look at verse 12. I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And so, so, so far we've talked about about joy and, 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 and where that flows out of for, for Paul. And we talked about discontentment and, and the source of our discontentment. Now let's define contentment. What, 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 what actually is contentment? Because I, I think it's a word that we can kind of throw around a bit casually in our conversation. Um, you know, and we got to be careful with that because sometimes when we think about contentment, we're thinking about um, Thanksgiving dinner. And um, stuffing ourselves up with as much food as possible. And when someone kind of comes with that seventh plate, you're like, no, 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 I'm content. I'm content. I'm good. I'm good. I'm totally satisfied. That's not necessarily the kind of contentment that Paul is aiming at here. So let's, let's first define contentment by really highlighting what contentment is not. Um, in, in Stoic philosophy, I don't know if any, any, any other philosophical nerds in here have, have, have studied this, but in Stoic philosophy, there's this belief that everything is a matter of perspective. The only problems you have is the way you're seeing things. And, and so the Stoics believe that emotions like fear, envy, sexual desire, uh, passionate love for anything whatsoever was really a false judgment about reality. Uh, they, they felt like the state of perfection was to be self-sufficient, and, and, and if you can achieve this position of being self-sufficient, 
that, that you would have achieved a, 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 a state of, of perfection. And so remember that word self-sufficient there, but um, uh, you, you might have even heard people say, wow, that person was so stoic. You know, maybe, they, maybe, they, maybe they've experienced something very bad or, or horrible, but they just don't seem to be phased. They seem unfazed by what they're um, dealing with. I, that's not necessarily the call that Paul is, is, is aiming at here. He's not calling us to be more like Stoics. Um, contentment is not denying the reality of your pain. To, to, to be content, you don't have to act like you don't actually, you're not actually suffering. It, it's not spiritual to, to, to pretend that the things that you're going through aren't really as bad as they are. You can acknowledge that your experience is less than desirable and still be content. Another thing contentment isn't is, 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 is contentment is not the, 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 the actual enjoyment of the experience that you have. So on one hand, you don't have to pretend that, that, that what you're experiencing is not bad, but you also don't have to act like you're, you're enjoying it at the same time. So some, some folks, again, depending on what your philosophical ideas of life is, we want to walk on coals and, and lay on a bed of needles and act like there's no pain there. Or, or, or we'll fast for whatever amount of days and, and, and somebody can have a plate of steak in front of you and you're going to pretend that there is no hunger pains. That's not contentment. That, that's actually crazy, not contentment. It, it is a C word. It's crazy. Contentment is also not passive acceptance of whatever happens in life and doing nothing to change it. In other words, it's not indifference. You know, if a doctor tells you, hey, listen, if you don't change this diet, you're going to have diabetes this time next year. You don't just say, well, you know what, I'm content with my diet and I'm content with whatever comes with my diet. That's not the risk. That's, that's the, you, you have to be concerned about your health. You, you've got to do something about this, this, this troubling news that you just heard. You know, last night I walked into my boy's room, and um, I, I, I thought I walked into a scene of Lion King. Um, I turned on the light. I thought, I, I promise you, I thought Rafiki was going to come out of the closets at some point. There was toys everywhere. Um, I felt like I heard theme music, but the reality is their room was, it, it was, it's crazy. It's like they went and got all the toys in the, in the garage or wherever we keep them, and they just decided it looked great to just dump everything on the ground. Um, they might be content with that. I'm not. They need to clean their rooms. Can I get an amen from the mothers in the house? Clean the room. I'm not content with it looking like that. Contentment is not this acceptance of whatever, whatever life brings. I'm just going to take it and I, 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 I don't have to do anything about it because that's just, what, that's just a lot that God has uh, given me. So, so what is biblical contentment? What does it mean to be content? What does it look like to be content in any and all circumstance that we find ourselves in? The first thing I want us to just, again, just take note of is Paul says he had to learn this. He says, I learned to be content. This tells us that unlike discontentment, which is very natural for us, we didn't have to go to any school to learn it, contentment is something that actually does need to be learned. It's a gift from God, but the way he gives it to us is not kind of one of those gifts he imparts on us at the point of, of, of becoming a believer. This is a, way, this is a gift that he gives us through, through, through a learning. He teaches us this, this gift of contentment. This contentment likely took a long time for Paul to actually learn how to be. This isn't, inst- this isn't a microwave, um, instant kind of reality. This wasn't just downloaded onto Paul. He learned it. He says, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. In other words, this, this secret is a great mystery that that must be spiritually discerned and believed, not just cognitively understood. And so you, you've got to have a lot more than just brain power to, to, to really understand and come to grips with the kind of, 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 of um, suffering that Paul had to go through. You, you don't just cognitively make your way through your, your pain. 
I believe Paul went and got a degree from a different kind of school that we would ever get a degree from. Uh, Paul got a school, uh, Paul got a degree from a school that has way more classrooms than it does students. And, 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 and not many people are trying to apply to go to this school. I mean, you can, go, you can get this thing with a full ride, but I, I can guarantee you nobody wants it. Paul, Paul is, a, uh, is a, an alumni of TTU. I don't know, if, has anybody ever been to TTU? Trials and Tribulations University. This is where he went to school. Look at first, uh, well, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul reveals to us kind of where he, uh, the, 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 the classes and electives he took at TTU. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he says, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, oftentimes without food, cold and without clothing. Here's an elective, not to mention the things that, uh, not to mention other things, uh, that there's daily pressure on me because of my concern for all the churches. These are the classes you get at Trials and Tribulations University. And, and I'm not going to speak for any of us here. I'll speak for myself. If that's me, I would have a hard time being content in those circumstances. I'd be questioning if God was with me, if I'm honest. I'd be questioning if God cared for me. I'd, I'd be tempted to give up on the ministry. This isn't air-conditioned preacher Paul talking. This is house arrest, jail-bound, not sure if he's going to live or die, so i got to write this letter to the Philippians, encourage them, let them know I'm grateful for them. I'd be tempted to give up on the ministry. Not Paul. Somehow, Paul learned a secret that made it possible for him to be content in any and every circumstance. How, how, do, we, how, do, we, how do we tap into that, to that secret? The secret that Paul learned was not contentment itself. The secret that Paul learned was how to be content. The, the, the literal meaning of that word content, remember I, I told you remember that word um, for later, it's, it's to be self-sufficient. It's to be completely independent from needing your circumstances to be one way or another. Do we feel like we've learned something like that? Have we learned that kind of a secret? How, how is that even possible? How is it possible? Verse 13. I'm actually able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Family, that's the secret. That's the secret. The secret is that in any circumstance, we can be content because of the power of Christ. Again, not in some level that you've been able to muster up because now you've, you've discovered these, these secret uh, skill sets that, that help you make it through difficult situations. No, it's the recognition that you have no ability in and of yourself to go through TTU and graduate. You need the power of Christ. Biblical contentment flows from the power of Christ. It's, this, this, this verse, verse 13 right here, maybe along with God so loved the world, is a, a, a text that's very popular. It's also one of the texts that is very most commonly misunderstood or misused. Uh, for example, you have maybe a, a basketball player getting ready to, 
to, to, to, to make that game-winning shot. And right before he, he's at the, three, the free throw line, or the, not the free throw, the three-point line, and the, the counter's going down, and he looks at his tattoo. It says, okay, I can do all things you can. And then he shoots it, and buzzer beater, Christ was with him. The power of Christ gave him that score, and they, took, they, 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 they brought it home for the, for the team. Some of us think that it's, it's this idea that you're working out in the gym and, 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 you know, look at me. I obviously work out in the gym. Hello. Now, imagine if I walked into a gym and I see 500 pounds and, I, and I'm like, you know what? Look at my tattoo. I can do all things through 500 pounds. Ah. That's, a, that's a false way of, that's a, that's, that's a misunderstanding of the text. I call that the, the, the Wizard of Oz kind of faith. It's just this idea that you can just click your heels and, you know, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I'm actually I'm hitting that pretty good. That's actually. But you don't believe that you can fly because you don't try to fly because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You, 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 you don't put yourself in a situation as though God's going to download some kind of ability in you so that you can now do that which is not meant for you to do it in the first place. The idea here is that God will give you strength, whatever the strength you need, to endure the suffering that you're facing, to appropriately live a life of abundance. By the way, just don't forget, he says, I know how to, I know how to make do with a little and with a lot. How many of us have, it's very easy for us to understand the concept of being content when there's not much. Paul also learns, he's learned how to be in abundance and still be content. And so God gives us the strength we need to endure and to appropriately live in abundance and to have a joyful and contented heart through it all. So so what is biblical contentment? Biblical contentment is resting in the sufficiency of God for your life, not necessarily finding some sufficiency within yourself. I mean, Paul understood this, and I don't know at what point he learned the secret. You know, I I don't know at what point in his ministry it, it became clear to him. Here's my assumption or an opinion here, so don't tweet this, but... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is just really combating people who are boasting in themselves. They're uh, boasting in, in, in their own abilities. And, and Paul is making some arguments to kind of combat those uh, false teachers. And, and he actually does a weird thing. He, he starts to boast in his weakness. And, you know, he highlights the fact that he's seen many things. He's experienced things that, that he can't even really make mention of, and to keep him from exalting himself or to keep him from being conceited, he prayed, uh, or to keep him from being conceited, a thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan to torment me, that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, and look what Jesus says. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in your weakness. In other words, you want to see the power of God, you've got to relinquish yourself of any need to take hold of a situation yourself. You've got you've to actually let God do what only he can do. You, you've got to open up the, rea- the, the opportunity for God to show himself to actually be God. It, it, in simple terms, get out of his way. We've seen that biblical, we, 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 we've seen that, um, biblical joy flows out of a posture of contentment, and, 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 we, and we see that biblical contentment flows out of a out of the, the, the power of Christ. Now let's just consider a few things that we can do with the strength of Christ that will lead us to joy and contentment in any circumstances. Here's a, a few things here. Um, 
just to consider. How do we live a life of contentment? Here's the reality. We don't have the ability in and of ourselves to do that. We're sinners who don't deserve really anything except the wrath of God for our sins. How can we be discontent about anything when we deserve nothing at all? The reality is not just some of us, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is ultimately the source of our idolatry, and not only does it separate us from God, but it's the reason why we seek created created things to bring us joy. This is not how God designed us to be. God created us to, to find our ultimate joy in Him, the eternal God of the universe who created all things, and yet Humanity has chosen to pursue things that will actually perish. We pursue lesser than things, thinking that that's going to bring about the satisfaction that only God can provide. But God in his kindness, he's chosen to reconcile us to himself and restore humanity back to its original design where our greatest treasure, where, where he's our greatest treasure and not the things that he gives us. He made the one who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No righteousness of our own. He took the wrath that we deserve. He died in our place and resurrected from the grave so that we can live in the confidence that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was forsaken so that we might be accepted. My, my, my only question here, before answering the reality of how we can live a, 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 a life of contentment is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, he wants you to come to him. If you do know Jesus, guess what? He wants you to come to him. Let me me just share a few things, and I'm going to get back to that. There's four things that I think if we could just take away, it'll be maybe a a, 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 a ramp on to our, um, our, um, our being able to live a life of contentment. The first one is humility. Humility is... One necessary thing that we have to have if we're going to be content in our abundance and in our need. We can't confuse abundance as a sure sign that you're in the will of God. Jesus says, watch out, for the, uh, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the, uh, in the abundance of our possessions. So be careful not to always assume that when things are all just peachy, that that somehow, that somehow means I'm in the will of God. I'm, all, I'm obviously doing what God wants me to do. You can still have things and not be close to God. It's also true that um, God also does bless us with gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so, and so the, the, we just need to have the humility in recognizing that what God chooses to do in our lives is not necessarily always something that we're we're, we're earning. If, if, if things to be, seem to be going well, it's not because we deserved it. We also got to remember, if things seem to not be going so well, it's not so much of a sign that we're outside of God's will either. Let, let's not confuse pain and suffering as a, 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 as a sure sign that we're outside of God's will as well. Philippians 1.29 says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Belief in Christ and suffering for his sake is both in the will of God for believers. And so suffering is, is not a sign, or going through hard times is not a sign that God has somehow walked away from you or that he no longer approves of you. So the first thing we have to remember is, 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 is having humility. The second thing is we got to have good memory in order to live a joyful and contentment life. What do I mean by that? Avoid spiritual amnesia. For, uh, Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Remember these things, the works of God in our lives. Psalm 77 verse Verse 11, I will remember the Lord's work. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. You need this kind of recollection, not just when things are not so great, but also when things seem to be going pretty good. Remember that whatever you're experiencing, if it's great, that God's the one that, is, that, 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 that fills our cup. And if it's not so great, remember his goodness and all the blessings that you have in Jesus. And so the second one is just (laughs) you got to have good memory. The third thing is pray. We need to be praying to God when there's an abundance, and we've got to pray to God when there is lack. God is the only one that can do anything about our situation, and so we've got to be able to come to him. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6 of Philippians says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be a super Christian who pretends to not have any needs or sufferings. You can actually just bring them to Jesus. And the last thing here is pursuit. Philippians 3.10 says, my goal, this is, this is powerful. He says, my goal, Paul says, is to know him and the, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow, uh, not assuming that I will somehow reach um, the resurrection from among the dead, per, I'm sorry, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Pursue Christ because you recognize him as greater than anything that the world could ever offer you. Paul says that this is his goal. He just wants to know the power of Christ and his resurrection. There, is a, um, there used to be a commercial um, that Apple did in 2009 to kind of highlight um, all the cool things that the iPhone can do. You know, there was the iPhone 3GS was coming out, and they put an ad out there where um, it highlighted all the apps that you can get from, from your phone. And so it would say something along the lines of, you know, do you, do you need to remember where you parked your car? There's an app for that. Do, do you, do you want to know um, how many calories are in your lunch? There's an app for that. Uh, do you want to check the snow conditions on a mountaintop? There's an app for that. And so it got to a point where everyone, you know, it was such a catchy commercial that everyone started to kind of use that to explain to people all the cool features of the phone. Oh, yeah, look, look, hey, Mom, there's an app for this. And what's the recipe for? Oh, there's an app for that. Let me ask you something. I don't know what you might have walked into the room here this morning with. But have you been feeling maybe, maybe, maybe lonely, maybe a feeling of lack, maybe a feeling of isolation, desiring marriage? Let me encourage you. There's a God for that. Is there a health concern that's looming over your head and your family, even as we speak? There's a God for that. Are there burdens and responsibilities in your life that are becoming overwhelming for you to, to endure? Are, are you feeling like you, you really just can't get another piece of bad information, bad news, or something wrong going on? There is a God for that. But whatever you might be wrestling with, whatever season of life you find yourself in right now, whatever's eating away at your joy and leading you to discontentment, I want you to know today that there's a God for that. Do you know him? His name is Jesus. And if you don't know him, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to get to know him. If you do know him, he wants you to come to him. 
Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus may not find, find it necessary to change your situation, but he'll always strengthen you in and through it. Christ's strength doesn't always produce the abundance that we might think we need, but produces the strength when we're in a moment of lack. Christ's strength doesn't always ensure that we're well fed, but produces the strength that enables us to be able to endure when we're in moments of hunger. You'll be able to do much. You'll be able to make do with little or make do with a lot because you won't have an overvalue of the the significance of things um, in our lives. And and you'll be able to steward that which God gives you in a way that's going to honor him. Whether you're well-fed or hungry, whether you're in abundance or need, remember the secret. It's going to take some time to learn it. We've got to go to TTU. But sometimes we can learn things without having to experience that. Here's the point. Whatever it is, we're able to go through all of those circumstances through Christ who strengthens us. My hope this, this, this afternoon is that, that we would have a greater pursuit for Jesus that, that would lead and cultivate a dependency in us that would actually tap into and lean on the power that only he can provide. Again, whether we're experiencing moments of abundance or whether we feel like we're lacking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your, your grace and your love for us, God. So thankful, Father, that um, everything we need um, is available to us in Jesus, Father. We're thankful for the strength that you provide in our, our, our times of lack, Father. We're thankful that if there's any good gift we have, we know it comes from you. Lord, we want to just depend and, and trust in the sufficiency that is only possible in Christ Jesus. And, and help us to know this afternoon that if all we have is Jesus, that we have all that we need.